morning, church. My name is Mackenzie Severe, and I am going to be reading today's passage, which is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things, who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Good thing I lifted weights yesterday. Good morning. So good to see you today. Welcome to Carney E. Free. Welcome all those who are watching online at carneyefree.com as well. Thank you, Mackenzie, for that beautiful reading as we wrap up the Gospel of John here today. Has it been a good study for you? I hope it's been a really good study for you these past 10 months. It's been a helpful study for me just to get stabilized once again in the gospel message of Jesus Christ through perhaps the most influential of the gospels across history. All four, I don't know how you can rank them. All four of them are equally influential. But many people would say, if you really want to get a glimpse of who Jesus is and understand a bit about his teaching and his life and how it applies to our lives, study the gospel of John. And so I hope it's been helpful for you though this past year. It certainly has been for me. And today we wrap up the story of the gospel of John with that passage that was just read and, um, and then the next couple of weeks, well, we'll be in our Christmas messages. Let's open up with a word of prayer as we reflect on those words, and then we will jump in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the goodness of your word. 
Thank you for the beauty of the scriptures and the words that we just heard together. This beautiful portrait of Jesus confronting and loving and then reinstating one of his disciples. God, we can find ourselves in this story. And it's not too difficult for us to do so if we just try a little bit this morning. We'll quickly be able to see how we also have missed the mark, and yet you confront and love, and you're willing to reinstate. Thank you that you are the God of the second chance. Would you please teach us today? Open our eyes. Please remove distractions from us. I have some in my mind too. Please remove them that we could be present with each other and present with you and perhaps apply these words of Scripture to our lives. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Can you think of a time when you failed miserably? Like maybe it was in the big game, at just the wrong moment you fumbled the ball. Or maybe... You had a presentation at work and you stuttered your way through it, but nobody understood it because you just weren't ready and you failed. Maybe you had a musical performance and you didn't get the message and you played your part in the wrong key. Maybe it was something much deeper than that. Maybe you've had a moral failure of some kind that you stretched the truth with someone that you love dearly and you were caught in that. Or you cheated in a way and that became evident for other people. You betrayed your husband or your wife in some way. You failed your child in a way. There's any number of different ways that we all could point out and I could say, yes, that's me to many of them that I just stated. Can you think of a time that you failed miserably? You fell on your face, and yet on the other side of that, in the midst of embarrassment, can you think of someone who picked you up in that failure? Who said to you, yes, I know that you've missed the mark here, and I'm sorry about what you've done, but... I still love you, I still believe in you, I'm still for you, let's give it another try. And if you've had that experience with someone after you have failed, as I have on a number of occasions from people who have loved me and picked me back up, that experience is so empowering, isn't it? Like it gives you this sense of hope that in spite of my failures, in spite of the fact that this person knows me and my missteps, This person still loves me and is for me and is willing to help me grow through this failure. Again, as we open up John 21, you might be there already, but in this final message of John's brilliant gospel, that is the emotional setting. What I just described there, that's the emotional setting for the Apostle Peter. The disciples have taken up fishing once again. The last days have been distressing for them, to say the least. Their Savior has been crucified, then beyond all comprehension, he was risen again, 
and they've experienced this push and pull and this, this fear and this rejoicing, and it all would have been very stressful. And so they go back to what they knew. They go out to the lake, and there's something calming about being on the water. Anyone? And so they go out to the water, and they're casting their nets, but they're not getting any bites. You ever uh, cast your line, and someone walks by, and they, they ask, getting any bites? And you're like, no, why do you ask? Okay, it's just me. Just me has that experience. Okay, that's the disciples. They're not getting any bites. They're not catching any fish. And Jesus is the guy that is saying, you getting any bites? He sees them on the seashore, and from the seashore sees their boat, sees that Peter's in there, and Andrew's in there, and maybe a couple others. And he says, have you any fish? And they kind of look down and they say, no, not any. But then the God who brainstormed the idea of fish in the first place decided to give them some fish. He says, put your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find 153 of them. You just go ahead and pick that up right now. And so uh, Peter looks out to them, and you can read this part of the story earlier in John 21, but Peter looks out a little bit more closely and he realizes that man who was asking, have you any fish, was Jesus. And his response is to let off all shackles, as his response usually is. He is very impulsive and stubborn and and all the rest, but he's passionate. And so what does Peter do? Do you remember? He jumps in the water. (laughs) He doesn't even have his swimming trunks, but he jumps in the water. And he starts swimming to Jesus. Jesus, it's you. It's the Lord. And they have this reunion that's so beautiful About an hour later, they have a campfire in the sand, and they're cooking up tilapia and having the most delicious breakfast together. And I'm telling you, I've eaten tilapia next to the Sea of Galilee, and it's nothing like that stuff you get in the freezer aisle of Hy-Vee, I promise. (laughs) Like, it's filet mignon and then some. They're having this wonderful breakfast together, such a time of fellowship. And after breakfast... Peter has what you might call a come-to-Jesus moment. Jesus looks into Peter's eyes and he asks, Simon, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And three times Jesus is going to ask Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Maybe he's referring to, like, do you love me more than your fishing business? Do you love me more than financial prosperity? Do you love me more than money and stuff? Maybe saying, do you love me more than even your friends and even your family gathered around this seashore? Maybe saying, do you love me more than you love their approval? Do you love me more? If you remember Simon Peter's story, you'll remember why Jesus is repeatedly asking him this question, do you love me? It was back in Matthew 16 that Jesus is conversing with Peter and he calls Peter the rock. He calls Peter the the rock because his name, Petros, literally means little rock. And Peter has just made this great confession of faith He says about Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was first Peter who recognized just who Jesus was. And as Peter, back in Matthew 16, recognized who Jesus was, Jesus responds to that by saying, yes, Peter, you're the rock. 
And on the rock of your confession, you may be just a little rock, but you made a rock-like confession. And on this confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never overcome it. And it's upon that confession, his confession, but also upon your confession, and upon my confession, that Jesus is just who he said he was, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter, if you remember, he's like pumped up in this moment. He's getting more and more passionate for Christ, and he says to Jesus, I will go anywhere you tell me to go, and I'll do whatever you ask me to do, and I will proclaim the good news of your power and love anywhere. And Jesus, I would run through a brick wall for you. And Jesus is like, uh, I'm not so sure, Peter. In fact, in that moment, Jesus tells Peter, you know, there's going to be a time that you're going to deny me. You're going to deny even knowing me. On three separate occasions, you're going to deny me. But even then, I won't be done with you. And indeed, at the hour of Jesus' greatest need, right after he was arrested by the authorities and the writing of crucifixion is now on the wall, we have this scene in which Peter is outside of Pontius Pilate's courtyard and he's warming himself next to a fire and the authorities are kind of looking around, people are starting to look around and they're asking, were you with Jesus? Were you with Jesus? Were you with Jesus? And this thing called persecution is about to blow up on these earliest Christ followers, and it's starting with Peter. And not once, not twice, but three times, Peter is asked, were you with Jesus? And all three times he says, no, I don't even know him. Here's the third of those. The third of the denials looks like this. In Luke chapter 22, 59 to 62, it says, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Someone else notices Peter, notices that he had been with Jesus, says, this guy was with Jesus. He's a Galilean just like Jesus. And Peter replies, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, these haunting words. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. He was cut deep to the core because at the hour that he wanted to be able to step up, what he did instead was fumble the ball. He stuttered through the speech. He betrayed someone that he loved. He fell on his face. And so his knees buckle and he weeps. We got to understand that while Jesus is kind, he is not weak. Amen? Amen? Jesus is kind, but he's not weak. And on the seashore, he chose to confront Peter for this massive failure. Like, he doesn't just ignore Peter's sins. He doesn't just bury unconfessed sins. He doesn't skirt the challenges of real biblical conflict resolution. Instead, he addresses our failures because he wants us to grow up. Peter's reconciled with Jesus, and he is reinstated to ministry, but not before Jesus names his sin and then forgives his sin. Reconciliation and reinstatement follows the naming and forgiving 
of what Peter's done wrong. Here's the truth. Reconciliation with anyone, including with God, requires naming and then forgiving. You can't forgive something that is not named. It has to be addressed in order to move on from it. And our God does not bury sins. He doesn't sweep them underneath the carpet. He's not weak. He's strong enough to come face to face, and he does that to some degree with Peter as they exchange a glance after his third denial, and Peter sees that Jesus saw his denials, and he realized he's cut to the core, God sees. There's a confrontation there. And I believe there's a second confrontation here in John chapter 21 as Jesus confronts Peter by asking for his allegiance on three separate occasions. Now, my purpose, though, this morning is not to give a thorough treatment of forgiveness and reconciliation. My point is uh, simply to say you cannot move on in a real genuine biblical manner until whatever was wrong is named and then actively forgiven. And so just as Peter has denied Jesus three times, so Jesus reaffirms his love for Peter three times and then reinstitutes, reengages his servant. This is what you gotta see in this passage. Peter reneged on Jesus in spite of all that Jesus had done for him, but Jesus would never renege on Peter. Verse 15 of chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, this time Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. This passage is fascinating to me on so many different levels. Again, I think it's a reaffirmation of Peter after he's denied three times, so also he's being reinstituted through this threefold affirmation of his love. But it's also fascinating to to me, but because Jesus changes the word for love as he goes through this passage. You might know in the Greek language, there's actually four words for love, where in our English language, we just have one word for love. The first word for love, the most important word for love, is God's love for us, which is agape. And agape love means unconditional, unmerited, no strings attached, freely given love based on nothing that we bring to the table, and that's God's love for you, amen? That is God's love for you. And that's the word that Jesus used the first two times. He says to Peter, do you love me in an unconditional, unmerited way in the way I love you? In other words, Have you received my unconditional love such that you love me in return? And we can love God and we can love others in an unmerited and unconditional way. It's really hard for us. The only way we would do it is by being so filled up by the love of Jesus ourselves such that it would overflow from us toward others. That's the only way that'll happen. It'll never happen in our flesh. Okay, there might be some self-giving type love that we get so we can get something back from people, but agape love will never happen from you or me unless we're filled up in Jesus. That's the word that Peter 
receives from Jesus the first two times, do you agape me? Interestingly, the third time that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo, from which we get friendship. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. He's saying to Peter, do you love me as a friend? Do you love me as your brother? Are you dear to me the way I'm dear to you? Are we like this? And there's something about the way Jesus phrases it this third time that cuts Peter to the heart, and he realizes that he was not a faithful friend to Jesus. And even there, Jesus has this firm but gentle way of naming the sin that leads to forgiving the sin. And the simple fact is, we cannot forgive what is not named. And so Jesus looks eye to eye with Peter, and this is his way of naming it and forgiving it and saying, still I love you. Will you love me in return? Now, I would say we've probably all been there. I've been there at different times in my life that my commitment to things that I know I'm supposed to be committed to is about as firm as a wet noodle. Anyone else? Like that's embarrassing to admit, but I've had those moments in my life. And I've had moments, not very often, thanks be to God, but I've had moments that I can go through the motions at church. Am I allowed to say that as a pastor? Okay, it happens even to professionals. Like I'm not. Okay, <laughs> there's times we go through the church motions. And there's times that we say to ourselves, man, I can't believe I had another angry outburst. I can't believe I fell into lust again. I can't believe I had another of whatever it is for you, another, another. And sometimes in those moments for me, I start to think maybe Jesus would be done with me. Maybe he would simply discard me when I fail. Maybe he'd do like so many bosses and coaches tend to do, just discard you when you fail. But hallelujah, that ain't Jesus. He names the sin. He forgives the saint. He reconciles with his brother. He reconciles with his sister. He picks Peter back up and he says, let's give it another try. This is Christ our Lord. Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Then verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, he recommissions him. This is what he's doing. He's recommissioning him for ministry. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. You might know from church history that Peter's specific mission was to build the church just as Jesus told him to do back in Matthew 16. Along with other disciples, he went out and he pierced the darkness of the Roman Empire with the light of a new thing called the church. Up to this point, there was no church, but then they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they're armed with the truth of the resurrection, and they have the word of God, and they go out preaching, and nothing can stop them. And as they're building the church, God gives this forewarning to Peter 
that as you build the church, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to stretch out your arms just like I did. And he did. Peter was crucified upside down by the authorities because he would not shut up about the resurrection and about the truth that Jesus is still the way to God. And so they flipped him over, actually, crucified upside down. But he didn't care. He was all in because Jesus was all in for him. He was going to be all in for Jesus. Now, I'm so glad that's not my mission. At least I hope not. But, like, resistance will come. You better believe you're serious about Christ. Resistance will come maybe from your friends, maybe from your family, maybe from your neighborhood, maybe from your classmates. If you're serious about Christ, resistance will come. And I know that my mission is much like Peter's essential mission here. Build the flock. Love the sheep. You're one of them too. Unify the flock. When someone wanders away, go get that one. Because the simple truth is, every single one of us are vulnerable sheep, aren't we? And every single one of us are fickle from time to time. And we all miss the mark, much like Peter did, sometimes more spectacularly, sometimes less so. But the takeaway from this passage is a critical one for every single one of us that are on the Christian journey today, and also for those who are just here asking questions, and maybe you've never even begun the Christian journey today. This is the character of our God. We are fickle, and He is faithful. Let's say this out loud together from the screen. We're fickle, God is faithful. Okay, that was kind of weak. Come on, come on. I want to hear you online as well. We're fickle, God is faithful. We're fickle, right? Like we change our minds. Some days at our love for Christ and we go all the way. Other days we tend to be kind of fickle. Peter reneged on Jesus. Jesus reconciled with Peter. We all blow it sometimes. Jesus never blows it. He remains faithful to us in spite of our failures. Is it hard for anyone else in this room to give people second chances? Like it's hard for us to give second chances. Our God is the God of the second chance. That's who he is. He thrives on second chances. We had such a wonderful celebration Sunday here a few weeks ago. It was probably, you know, the six celebration Sundays that I've been a part of here at the church. It might be the most memorable one that I've ever had. That may be easy for me to say because it just happened a couple weeks ago. It's very memorable in my mind right now. <laughs> it was a great, great night together. We just served desserts. Since we didn't do the full turkey meal, maybe the attendance well was a little bit thinner. I know everybody shows up for the turkey. But anyway, it was a great, great night together. And we had been praying amongst our leadership teams here at this church that God would provide on Celebration Sunday $40,000 so that we could start a new ministry. Several of us on our elder board and our staff team have been praying and praying and praying on a consistent basis that we could start a new ministry called E-Free Transit that would go out to get the homeless in our community that oftentimes usually do not have a church home. They don't have anyone from any church that goes and picks them up on a Sunday-to-Sunday -Sunday basis. And we just said, that should not be. And so we decided, well, we're going to get a church van so we can go pick them up ourselves on Sunday mornings. Because really, what a homeless ministry is all about is a ministry of second chances, right? That's really what it's all about. 
that we realized that we needed second chances and we needed a safe community at one point in our lives. And so we realized also that other people need second chances and other people need a safe community as well. And so we're going to be those who would join the mission of God and bring them in. So we were praying that God would perhaps provide 40,000, but I got to tell you, that evening our attendance was thin and I had my doubts. As I looked out over the crowd, I just said, I'm not sure if it's going to happen here, and I felt this failure of leadership working through my mind because, true confession, I didn't have a plan B. Like, what happens if we only get 10,000? Or what happens if we get 60 or 70,000? Well, what do we do with the extra? Well, I was so grateful for the, that evening as the numbers came in, and I saw so many kids. The beautiful thing now that evening was so many kids catching the vision. Saw lots of kids bringing their $10 bills and their $20 bills up front to, to give to, to this mission. And at the end of the evening, uh, Pastor Scott Stober, executive pastor, brought me and Justine uh, this little paper with the tallied number of $41,372. Like, <laughs> I mean, can you say bingo? <laughs> not a little bit too much, not too little like right on the money. And I don't know about you, when God specifically answers a prayer, not too much, not too little, but right on time, you get a lot of mileage from that in your faith, don't you? I'm still kind of riding high off the mileage from that evening. Now, we didn't have a church van. In fact, what we've been looking for for a church van for several weeks before that, assuming that God would provide $40,000, but we didn't have one. We couldn't find one as we were working with a car salesman, until the day after that money came in and one came to us for $40,000. Okay, so that van is now on the way and we can't wait to start that ministry sometime early in 2022. You know, th that night was also so awesome because we had 17 baptisms and through the baptism, there was this unified theme of second chances. Like again and again, you would hear these testimonies <laughs> of people who had fallen on their face, like me, like I fell on my face so many times, other folks who fell on their face, and somebody, not really a pastor, just ordinary folks like us, picked them up and led them to a second chance. Because our God doesn't forgive seven times, but 77 times seven times. And so we would forgive not seven times, but 77 times, seven times. This is the character of God to Peter. This is the character of God to us. I have a few items in my office. This is a Waterford crystal clock. And uh, it's a little bit too expensive for my taste. But I received this as a gift from my father-in-law, whom I love and passed away a few years ago. And I did a little bit of research on Waterford crystal and apparently, their standards at the Waterford Crystal Company are so high that as they're finishing up a piece, they hold it up to the light and they look for any deformities, any miniature cracks, any little bubbles, any imperfections. And if they find any at all, they drop it on the ground. And it shatters, and they're done with it. And I suspect that some of us in this room tend to think that that's how God would look at us, that as the scripture says, we are the clay, and he is the potter, 
And perhaps he would see the many deformities in our character, our many failures, and he would say, I'm done with you. That's our fear. That it would drop to the ground and he'd be done with us. But what I see in Jesus' interaction well with Peter is this is not the character of God at all. He names the issue, he forgives the issue, and then he reconciles us to himself. And when we're fickle, he is faithful to give us more chances. I think it's a little bit more like this. I received this piece of artwork for a friend of mine, and this is a Japanese form of artwork called kintsugi. And kintsugi is a 15th century Japanese art form. The word kintsugi means golden joinery. And what the artist does is he allows this beautiful pot to break after it was already beautiful, this gorgeous blue, gaze on, uh, blue glaze on it. It falls to the ground and it drops and then the artist pup picks it up and he takes this golden joinery and he creates these beautiful scars as he puts the pot back together and as he puts it back together, it becomes more interesting and more beautiful than it ever was in the first place. And this is what God did for Peter. And friends, this is what God does for us. He takes the places that are broken. He takes our wounds. He does not treat our wounds as if they were not serious. He picks us off and up in the middle of our wounds, and he joins us back together, making us a far more beautiful creation when he recreates us than we were upon our original creation. Like, you need to think about this well from time to time. Was Peter's ministry more powerful or less powerful because of his spectacular failure? Somebody say more powerful. Like, it was more powerful by far. Because of his failure, he got to know the magnitude of Christ's redeeming love, which treated him in the midst of his wounds and joined him back together and said, I will not quit on you. And this is God's character to us, I will not quit on you. And far from our scars being something that we would be ashamed of, our scars become that which make us more powerful for the ministry of the gospel. Because he doesn't quit on us. When we're fickle, he's faithful. As the Psalms put it, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds such that when we are bound up like this golden kintsugi joinery, we, come, we become more beautiful than we ever were in the first place. This is part of the reason that we are so emphatic about saying regularly in this room, it's okay to not be okay. Man, I got stuff all over the place. This thing was supposed to break. <laughs> First service, it broke, and a shard came up and cut my finger. <laughs> but in spite of that, I am preaching through my injury. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Enough about me and my toughness. <laughs> Friends, this is why we say, come as you are because God receives us as we are. This is why we say it's okay not to be okay, 
Because Peter found out it was okay that he wasn't okay, that God was going to meet him right there and he's going to heal him. He's going to bind up his wounds. So you might say, I have so much to be ashamed of. What you have to be ashamed of, you bring that to the heart of God and you allow him to heal you right there. And I promise you, you can be more powerful for ministry because of that. He doesn't quit on you well when you make a mistake. He's faithful when we are fickle. Whoever you are, whatever your background, however you failed, this is the question that Jesus asks. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's not even do you obey me. The first question is do you love me? And as we live out of that love, then we follow him. As we live out of his love, then we have the empowerment to love him. I would say this is the critical question for my marriage. Do I love Jesus most? This is the critical question for my parenting. Do I love Jesus most? This is the critical question for my work. Do I love Jesus most? Because it's out of this reciprocal love where I'm receiving the love of Christ and then I'm loving him in return that I have anything to give to you, that I have anything to give to my family, that I have anything to give to church, that I have anything to give to my wife. The secret of the Christian life is, do you keep receiving the love of God when you fail and then keep redirecting your love back toward the cross, back toward the empty tomb, back toward the manger that we celebrate this Christmas? This is the character of our God. We're fickle. He's the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fat chance, the no chance at all. We're fickle. He's faithful. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, I, uh, I thank you for your astounding love for Peter. I'm pretty sure I would not have reacted the same way. Thank you that this is a portrait of your great love for us. That you would come to us and you would restore us in the midst of our great mistakes and failures. And Lord, as I look over this room today and think about those that are watching online, I'm sure there are some that are wrestling with their own failures. There are probably others who just ignore their failures. And you'd have something to say to each of us, Lord Jesus. If we're ignoring our failures, you would come to us and you would confront us. And I wonder if you would receive that even now. You gotta name it. And then you can ask God to forgive it. Then you ask for help to follow him as you love him. For others, we've already dealt with you in that way, and we just need to receive your reaffirming, relentless, unstoppable love for us. That in spite of all of our missteps, you're willing to forgive us 77 times, seven times. So I pray for my friends in this room that are overwhelmed by the burdens of their mistakes and failures, 
that you would shower your loving forgiveness on them even now. Oh Lord, would you uplift our spirits again, that while this world might discard of us, while our bosses might discard of us, our coaches or even our teachers, in some cases even our family members, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You're the God of the second chance. And I pray that you would be that for some of my friends today who need it even now. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.